Welcome, friends, to the Miles with Marty podcast. This is home base for running community love, and we're sponsored by Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube, and your blister and chafing problems will go away. You can thank me later. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast, episode 38. I've got another good one on tap for you today. It's my good friend Mike Alberts from down in South Florida, and he is a super cool dude. He's a YouTuber that does great videos on all the races he does, and he does some really epic races. And he is really committed to uh, shining the light on uh, mental health through his charity, Bigger Than the Trail, that he's an ambassador for. So he talks about all of his uh, epic races that he's done and uh, the mental health thing. And uh, it was just a real honor and a privilege to get to know him better. And I think you're going to enjoy getting to know him better as well. Stay tuned. Just some quick current events before we jump into the interview. Uh, as of the weekend of this recording, we just had the finish to the Cocodona 250 out in Arizona. And friend of the show and former guest, Mike McKnight, the low-carb runner, crushed it. It was just an amazing performance on his behalf because he started out and had some back issues and got as low as 73rd place in the first day or so, first day or two, and then just made a crazy comeback, uh, did some troubleshooting and uh, made a crazy comeback and ended up winning the race and setting a course record on the original Cocodona course. And so just an amazing effort on his part. And his crew chief and pacer, Ben Light, they both just did a great job. I hope to have an episode coming up real soon to talk to Mike about his adventure and maybe learn something about that great troubleshooting that he does. Last year, he had a similar experience where he started out and had some trouble, and he ended up taking care of business and uh, just flying through the field and made it all the way up to second place last year. He just kind of ran out of miles without being able to catch the leader. But uh, plus, uh, String Bean was just killing it last year, so I don't know if anybody would have caught him. But anyway, Mike is a special dude, and I would love to be able to chat with him and uh, hear how that went. Before that, I've got a couple of episodes coming up. I've got one uh, coming up real soon on crewing with a great panel to discuss best practices for crewing and pacers, and also a couple of cameos from some uh, celebrities. So you'll want to tune in for that. I've also got some uh, race recap interviews from some people that had epic races over at the Bronze Dragonfly in Savannah in the first weekend in May. So you'll want to catch that. Hopefully they will both be out before the keys. And speaking of the keys, I just wrapped up my final big weekend of training for keys with a three by 10 mile effort yesterday, Saturday, uh, three 10 mile runs separated by three hours. And uh, it went real, real well. That last 10 mile run, I had a little bit of pain down in my Achilles on the left side. So hopefully that's nothing serious. You know how it is with uh, taper. You always, I always seem to, two to three weeks out, seem to have something that looks like it's going to make me cripple for the race. And so hopefully this one is just in my head too, and it'll go away soon. Keep your positive vibes and prayers for me, please. Okay, without any further ado, let's go to my interview with Mike Alberts. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. I've got Michael Alberts on the line. Welcome, Michael. Oh, hey. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So do you like, do people normally call you Mike or Michael? I'm usually, I'm usually a Mike. I don't get Michael very much. I'm usually a, a Mike type of guy. So that's what I prefer. But, you know, call me anything you want as long as you're talking to me. I, I love I love talking to people and <laughs> I don't care what you call me. Great. Okay. I'll try to keep it with Mike then. I will say just in the introduction that my first time that I met Mike was at uh, the Swamp Race this past no, not this past one, the one before. So that would have been 2022. And yes, uh, I think you were doing the 100K, if I'm not mistaken. But but I was there volunteering. I don't remember exactly what distance you did. But I remembered that you was the first time I had seen you. And you, by far, had the greatest mustache <laughs> in, any, in any ultra that I had ever been to. And, uh, and you were a really funny guy. So I enjoyed talking to you and meeting you. At that race, you remember that? Oh yeah, I do remember that. That's uh, I may have had the greatest mustache, but I probably had the the worst game plan for that race. Uh, <laughs> I I went to that race and I completely. Don was saying, you know, don't don't look past this race. This is a tough race. And I went, hey, I just did the long haul one hundred a few months ago. That my first hundred <laughs> mile race, by the way. I went. I think I know what I'm doing. And uh, by that 50K mark, when the, the heat hit me and I didn't respect those mountain bike trails, uh, I, I was hurting pretty bad. So I don't remember if you uh, remember me coming up and uh, throwing in the towel, but that was uh, that's so far been the first and only race that I, I've DNF. So like I said, great mustache, terrible game plan that day. <laughs> I hear you. Well, sometimes uh, lessons are cheap and sometimes you, you pay a lot for them and whatever, you know, in money or sweat and blood whatever and, and and lessons are invaluable that's for sure well marty i'll tell you i'll tell you what uh just before we get into myself uh after i got done with that race i was so i was at a crossroads there because i got beaten up by it and i had never faced a challenge that i had gotten beaten by uh that badly that uh I actually was on the wait list for cruel jewel which was about a month or two after that and i sat down and some soul searching and i was like should i should I take money? I'm off the wait list. Or if I get in, should I, should I really try to go for this? And like a week later, I got off the wait list and I got the, uh, the registration acceptance for cruel jewel. And I really went, you know what? I'm going to take this course seriously. I'm going to take my training seriously. And I'm going to use that humbling experience from the swamp hundred K. And, uh, I tell you what, I went into cruel jewel, respected the course, focused on my nutrition, hydration, and pacing. And uh, I finished that race with a giant smile on my face. So uh, sometimes you need to get your butt kicked uh, to, to set you straight for that next thing. So I, I, like I said, it's my first. That was my first DNF, and it hit me pretty hard. But it also taught me some valuable lessons uh, and humbled me quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I know I, I had similar experiences at my first two attempts at fifty milers. The first one was a uh, I got pulled I, I fell I did the Georgia Jewel 50 and I fell in the rock garden and kind of tweaked mm. my back and I just mm. could not go fast enough uphill I could do fine flat or or downhill but there's not a whole lot of flat <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up missing the 25 mile time cut off because I lost a lot of time uh, with that and so i got pulled from that one and then over at lake martin 50 miler i had gi issues and i was throwing up and i just couldn't 
take in any calories. And uh, so anyway, but and those both I learned valuable lessons. And like you said, I went in there a little too big for my own britches, as they say, you know, thinking that I had this thing figured out. And and those were two really simple lessons that, you know, that I had. And, you know, it, from the lesson from Georgia Jewel was, is when you're my age, 57, you're falling is not as, I mean, if you fall and you hurt yourself, you hurt yourself no matter what age you are. But when you're a little older, you get hurt a little quicker. You know, you're a little more brutal. And I can still, I could still have done a plenty of a good enough pace to finish the race and make the cutoffs, you know, with plenty of cushion. And But when you're not a great technical trail runner, like I am not, then you have to take it cautious on those sections of trails, you know. And so, like when I went out to, I went out to Arizona and did the Black Canyon race out there in a good oh, yeah. Good chunk of that race is nice, clean, smooth trails, you know, hard dirt trails. But then after the like the halfway point, there's a section that's super rocky. And uh, you know, there were people that were flying over those doggone rocks. <laughs> but but I'm not one of those people, you know. I if I because if I trip and fall, I may not finish the race. And if I go all the way out there to Arizona, you know, I don't want to come back with a DNF. You know, I wanna I wanna oh, come yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I learned to just slow it down on those technical scary areas just so I'm not going to put the race at risk, you know. Yeah, I'm and someone who I, I like going fast, but I also live by the motto, if you think it's going to take two steps, take three with those trails. Uh, especially, I, I did the uh, the Georgia Jewel, and that one, even even the non-technical sections, it's on that Pinhoti Trail. It's full of rock. I've never seen so many rocks in my life. Uh, millions of rocks as far as the eye could see and so even the flatter sections you were still kind of battling those rocks and it's kind of hard to get a nice even even gait and cadence going and you really need to make sure you're not uh twisting an ankle taking another spill like you were saying because you know one one spill will screw your back up and the next spill that may uh that may put you sitting on the side of the trail for a couple hours till they can get <laughs> get an atv to come get you right and yeah I, and that trail in particular there is no sales signal out there in a lot of the sections. Nope. <laughs> and so when I got pulled, the ham radio people had already gone. And so I had, I ended up having to hitch a ride to the interstate just to get sale coverage to call my wife to come pick me up. <laughs> yeah, I believe. Yeah. I, that's something that kind of, you know, coming from Florida, I, you see them on the ham radio calling out runners and making sure, you know, between the aid stations that the runners were okay. And I was like, Oh, I guess that that's right. They can't just pull out the cell phone and, you know, go run down the trail and call someone. They have to radio this in. So there was a, there was a few runners there that they, they were kind of checking on quite a bit just because they were moving a bit slower and, you know, kind of the reality of it kind of hit me. Like we're, we're up in the mountains, like, yeah, sure. There's other runners around, but this is the mountains. Like <laughs> it's right. not a, you can't just, go mosey on over you know like in florida right across the street to you know the quick stop like if you're up there stranded you need to find a way down yeah but we'll jump right into uh the story i'll just tell you this quick story about that so we went up there like you know the race is in september we went up to uh dalton i think in july that year to do a training run me and some friends of mine and when we left from there, we kind of split up because we parked our vehicles in different sections so we got so we could kind of use them as aid stations. And so when I left in my vehicle to go back to the hotel, it was like 
I don't know. We I think we ran like 25 miles or something like that. And so it was like two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. And where I had my vehicle, there was no cell signal. So I couldn't do the, uh, you know, for your GPS to work in your phone, you got to at least have a cell signal when you start out <laughs> to type oh, yeah. in the address. And I could not figure out how to get back to the hotel. And I rode all over those mountain roads trying to find a signal just to find my way back to the hotel. And I oh, drove around for like two and a half hours. <laughs> I drove like 150 miles to, you know, and the hotel was like 20 miles away. <laughs> uh, there's some beautiful roads, but I definitely wouldn't want to be on them for a couple hours while I'm trying to search for a nice bed and a nice, nice cozy room. Yeah. And my wife was back at the hotel waiting on me and she was steaming mad at me when I got back because <laughs> I stayed gone all day. <laughs> thought you're out having a good time you're just trying to find your way back she had to call like doordash just to get some food and so ooh, she was mad anyway, <laughs> oh moving right along <laughs> yep 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 so uh so I, I know i've heard parts of your story on some of your podcasts with uh joe fuller and so but for the listeners i just picked up a bunch of new listeners from the savannah area and awesome. so, so uh so just kind of share a little bit of your uh, running story about where you came from, what got you to here. And, you know, I definitely want to talk about your uh, videos, Feet First Athletics on YouTube. That's what you call it. That's the channel, yes, right? Yes, it's sir. Great race video. So we definitely want to talk about that. But just tell us where you – tell us your start. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, I was kind of thinking about this before the call, given kind of an abridged, detailed version, if that uh, if that is not an oxymoron enough. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, starting back at the beginning, I played uh, sports in middle school, high school, mostly baseball. I uh, was never in the greatest shape, but always, you know, I ran when I had to. And back at back then, I thought running meant you you ran as hard as you can. You got your heart rate up and you just sprinted. That's that's what a run was. So was never really a big cardio guy uh, right up until I got into uh, the end of high school. Uh, by that point, I wanted to become a Navy SEAL, and I was reading documentaries on it. This was back in the the uh, early 2000s, so you know the David Goggins's weren't around quite yet. So just reading about what those guys were doing, started running. Of course, like I said, you know, running is when you run as hard as you can for as long as you can, and then you pass out. That's <laughs> that was my running. So you use kind of that ambition of being a Navy SEAL to to get in shape. Went to went off to college. Uh, my mom, she was always, she had one rule. She's like, I'm going to pay for you. I'll pay for your college. You just need to get a degree after that. Go into the Navy as an officer. Do what you have to do, but just get a degree. I went, that's fine, mom. I'll do that. But I'm definitely going to the Navy. Well, at end, of, end of college comes around and uh, I worked in retail making, you know, some peanuts every week. And as I got close to that graduation date, I started seeing what you could make as an electrical engineer. Uh, and I started going, you know what? that kind of looks better than what I'm making now. And maybe I'll, I'll put those dreams of the Navy uh, to the side. So got to the end of, got to the end of college. College was stressful, started drinking, drinking pretty heavily uh, just to get through some of the, the midterms, some of the stress, the senior design, uh, got a job in the real world. Uh, by this point I had stopped working out. I was pretty much focused on my career. A couple months into that realized that being, being an engineer working at a desk wasn't as cracked up as it sounded like. Uh, so, you know, kept on drinking. And I remember my friends, they, uh, they all said, well, you know, you have a leeway period after college. 
if you you have six months to where you can keep drinking and you're not an alcoholic. Once you pass that six months, then you're an alcoholic. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if anybody else listening has heard of that rule or if it's just something my friends made up, but uh, it, it was a terrible rule to follow because I definitely, uh, I kept up the drinking long after that six months. Go, you know, going through life, uh, most of my 20s actually, uh, drinking, eating poorly, not working out. Uh, fast forward to kind of my late 20s, uh, I was I was working up in Rochester. Still, again, I would go to the gym once a week, lift some weights, and go. Man, I'm I'm doing well. <laughs> but I was working up in Rochester, New York, and uh, drinking, eating, horrible habits. And I remember walking, and there was like a guardrail, like twelve inches high. And I went, I can jump over this, you know, to get to to get to the restaurant with all my chicken wings and beer and all the good stuff. And I jumped over this guardrail, twelve inches high, and I tweaked my knee. And at that point, I realized I'm like, maybe, maybe I need to do something about this. <laughs> uh, maybe I need to go and, and check something. And it, as soon as I got home from that trip, I'm laying in bed. I'm talking to my wife about, oh, how I want to, you know, get in shape, uh, start working out. She goes, oh, you got a dad bod. That's, that's fine. I got dad bod. I'm 27, no kids. I don't want a dad bod. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at that point, I decided to start. Uh, doing Muay Thai, doing jujitsu. Uh, went to a few classes, uh, got my butt kicked, and kind of started off on this, you know, fitness journey, getting in shape. Uh, had my first, had my first uh, child, my daughter. Uh, I was really time constrained, so I started uh, cycling for fun. I got a gravel bike just so I could hit, you know, the roads, hit the hit the back hit the back roads, and started cycling more and more. Started getting into endurance cycling. And I actually, uh, before my son was born, I decided that I want to do one last hurrah before I had two kids, one more feat of endurance before I hang up my, uh, hang up the tires and go and, you know, go back to living a, a sedentary life where I can't have any time because I have two kids. I'll never have any time to do anything, I thought. Uh, so my last hurrah was going to be a, a bike ride across Florida, doing the Florida coast to coast trail. So during this bike ride, I actually figured I'm going to be on a bike for three days straight doing 240 miles. I'm 240 miles is crazy. Who can bike that far? <laughs> and so I decided to download a bunch of audiobooks on ultra running. You know, the, as, oh, David Goggins, you know, I've heard of him. Uh, Dean Carnassus. I just downloaded a whole bunch. And as I'm riding my bike across Florida, listening to these ultra endurance athletes talk about running. I realized that these guys weren't all Navy SEALs. Some of these guys were middle-aged, you know, 30, 35, 40-year-old gentlemen and women that looked at looked in the mirror one day and went, I want to run really far and just started doing it. And so by the time that bike ride was over, the very next day after I had 240 miles, I went out for a 10-mile run. I hadn't run probably in the last 10 years, but I was so motivated by these audiobooks that I'm like, I, I want to run now and I want to run immediately, like as soon as I get off this bike. <laughs> so, uh, and that just, that has just snowballed into one event after the other. My first event was the Vero Beach Octopus Ultra, which was a 50 mile race. I had never even run a 5K before I signed up for this race. So <laughs> I showed up for that event completely unprepared. Uh, I, I, I guess I looked the part cause I had the hydration vest. I had the, the compression socks and it, it, people said I looked like a runner, but I was like this, you know, I've been training for, but this is the first actual event I did. And, uh, that 
that event completely kicked my butt. I was totally unprepared, but I learned more in that 12 hours of running that 50 miler than I had in the last year of endurance training, just to learn more about my body, about what I can push myself. And, uh, since then I've done some pretty, uh, some pretty crazy races that I'm sure we're going to get into, but yeah, that was the, uh, I was trying to make that pretty abridged, but I guess I kind of started going on there, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my whole history. The summary is that I just decided in my late twenties to do something about being out of shape and then going into my thirties really started to become serious about my training and try to see what I can push myself to do. So what year was, did you say that Vero Beach was? Uh, Vero Beach, that was in uh, 2021. That was the uh, yeah. 20, that was the middle of 2021 when I decided to start doing races. So right in the peak of COVID where you could barely find a race. And pretty much the only reason I signed up for Vero Beach was that it was the only race within like a four month period. And especially over summer in Florida, because you don't have many uh, June, July races popping up. Now, I guess now you do with some of the crazier runners, but that was pretty much the the race that fit my timeline with uh, what I wanted to do running wise. Right. And that's that's the uh, octopus, right? Vero Beach octopus. Yes, sir. That's the octopus. Okay. So that's July. Yeah. So were you already uh, now? I think you're a client uh, coaching. You're an athlete with uh, Run Fluent, right? Yes, sir. So were you then? Uh, actually, no, I had met the run fluent team, uh, probably a year after, um, six months after in January when I did long haul 100. So at that point I was just, I showed up to it. I knew no one. I talked to a few people, but I was, I'm, I'm quite a, uh, extroverted introvert at times. I can be extremely shy and I can also be extremely outgoing, uh, just depending on, uh, I guess the phase of the moon, but that race, I didn't. That race and a few few ones after, I didn't really branch out very much and talk to people. But one thing about a lot of these ultra races is that you, you see the same crazy people race after race. And so I felt more comfortable when I, you know, the third time I saw someone, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to introduce myself because I've seen this person at all these races. And uh, that's kind of how I met the the RunFluent uh, team. Uh, Scott Hoover, he was part of it. Uh, I had seen him at a bunch of the races in Jupiter. And, uh, you know, he, he was part of RunFluent. And then through him and uh, Neil Moser, I met Coach Chris and kind of started linking up with them. So, yeah, the, these events they uh, they have the, a lot of the same faces. So, I, I learned if you're a shy person, uh, it's kind of easy to come out of your uh, a shell once you've seen someone for the you know sixth time, and you're like, maybe now I should finally introduce myself. <laughs> yeah. So you just kind of made up your own training plan for that first fifty, then. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I, of course I looked online, you know, training plans for a 50, hundred miler. Uh, but essentially I just tried to focus on long miles, long, long, easy miles. I had a decent aerobic base built up from the biking. And yeah. so the transition to running, I was actually really lucky because I started out with 30, 40 miles a week and I went up to 50, 60 miles a week within, you know, about a month or two, which for I don't recommend that for most athletes because that's going to spell some major injuries and some disaster. But I I think I was lucky because I had a good aerobic base built up from the biking, so yeah. I I kind of dodged a few bullets early on, uh, not getting hurt. But uh, definitely made some mistakes since then uh, <laughs> with uh, running through some injuries. But yeah, made it up as I went along. Just tried to get long slow miles in, build up a nice aerobic base, and kind of hope for the best for those initial ones. 
Yeah. Now, does that particular race, I don't know anything about that race. Does it have a lot? Of, is it one of those that has a lot of sand or is it? A- uh, it doesn't have a lot of sand, but it's got no aid besides the central area. So it, it's a, literally an octopus where it has eight arms that you go out on doing the 50 yeah. miler. I only did four of the arms. Uh, that's actually a funny story, too, because I told my wife, uh, we went down there. I said, hey, I'm going to run this race. You can go get your nails done, hang out at the hotel. I'm not going to need your help. Maybe around mile 25, bring me some water. I figured, you know, with the out and backs to the aid station, uh, I would just get eight at the aid station. And I think the longest leg was uh, 16 miles. And I went, you know, I can do I can do 16 miles with a, a bladder and some a hydration vest. And uh, luckily before the race, right, right as she was dropping me off, she asked another crew. She goes, hey, he says he doesn't need any crew for this. And this is his first ultra. Is he in over his head? And they looked at her and they laughed and they went, that guy's an idiot. If you, <laughs> if you let him run on, on his own, he's going to be hurting. And I'm happy she, uh, she, she's quite the extrovert. So I'm happy she uh, made some friends and got an idea of what I was getting myself into because uh, she went out to this. After I started, she went out immediately to the, to the gas stations, got me food, got me water, got me ice. And when I called her up, she was like, yeah, I'm right down the road. I knew you'd probably need me a little sooner than later. So she was my uh, crew for all 12 hours of the day. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't believe that she sacrificed her nice relaxing day to, to help me out. So, you know, I, I went in there not knowing anything uh, <laughs> and came out knowing a lot. But without her help, I would have uh, had my day end way earlier. Yeah. And just think, if, th- if she would have done things differently, you may not be the fiend that you are today for ultras right oh, I, I, I might have i might have gotten to mile 20 and said you know what this running stuff isn't for me and just I think not, I'm not, back not, not pursued it. i think i'm going back to biking yeah <laughs> i'd like to think that i have the mental tenacity to fight through that but that might have been quite a blow to my ego and you know this whole ultra running has been a giant it's 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 constant blows to your ego and the ones that show up the most are the ones that don't they can fight through that blow to your ego i mean i know a bunch of runners with a bunch of dnfs that still sign up for the hardest stuff because they they don't care if they dnf they're they're going out they're trying as hard as they can and if they don't get it this time they're going to get it the next time so uh, i'm someone still kind of struggling with uh, when i get beaten down bringing myself back up but i'm i'm working on that too yeah yeah, and that's and that's a good point. We'll I want to circle back around to later the mental health side of it because I know that's important yeah. to you, and we'll yes, talk sir. about that. So, do you think that your wife, knowing that that sent you on a journey into uh, stepping into bigger challenges, do you think she's happy about that? <laughs> I think uh, I actually touch on it a little bit in my across Florida video, uh, this brief section. But I I think my running. It's definitely a, it's definitely stressful on her and the kids. Uh, I try to always prioritize them, but she knows that it's a balance. And if I don't get my training and my races in, then uh, I'd be a lot more stressed and I'd be struggling a lot more uh, with my mental health. So she kind of knows that running is is my therapy. So mm-hmm. I think over, overall, she's probably happy that uh, she decided to, to stick through it. But I, I'm sure she wishes I had a hobby uh, such as a professional dish cleaner or uh <laughs> pickleball <laughs> yeah she, she I, I bet she wishes i'd had more carpentry so i could you know install these new cabinets we just got <laughs> yeah but i think i think overall she's uh she she's happy with where i'm at right now 
maybe a little, maybe a little less. She's, she actually just walked in. She's giving me a thumbs down. So. <laughs> yeah. My wife is uh, similar. She, you know, she rolls her eyes sometimes when I tell her, start talking about races coming up or thinking about signing for another race. But, but for the most part, she's very supportive because she knows that, you know, without that, uh, I'm as crazy as they come, you know, it is definitely <laughs> therapy for me and it, it burns, you know, I've talked to many people about it. You know, I've done, before I got into ultras, I did a lot of road races, marathons and half marathons. And there are plenty of wonderful people in that sport too, but there are also some mean people in there. But in ultras, you know, it's not a lot of mean people. It, the, all those miles, it just kind of burns the meanness out of you. Right. <laughs> it's, I don't know if it's that. I think it might be, uh, it attracts a certain type of people, but maybe the miles do burn out the meanness, but I, I, I <laughs> I've talked to a bunch of runners like that that are getting into trail running and they uh, like at the at the funnest 50K that I just did. I met a, a bunch of runners that are it was their first trail run. And I went, you're going to find out you're going to see real quick this community. They'll they'll give you the last gel. They'll give you the last sip of water they have if they see you struggling, even if they know they're going to be struggling a few miles down the trail. They'll they'll give you the shirt off their back if you need to. And the road yeah. racing, you know, not not lumping all road racers because there's a variety of people, but it's a little bit more of a of a cutthroat. Uh, world out there or maybe not cutthroat but you know if you fall down you know maybe uh, a portion of people are going to try to pick you up in a trail race if you fall down you'll have everyone stopping to try to try to try to pick you up so i i love the community that's that's centered around trail running yeah yeah i was a uh, volunteering at a 50k mm-hmm. and uh the first and second the first place guy was uh, leading the second place guy by just you know a minute or two and the second place guy was an elite runner you know he's a sponsored runner you know he he makes money off of the sport and the the first place guy tripped and failed and the second place guy helped him up he didn't fly past him and you know kick, kick dirt on him or whatever he stopped yeah. and helped him up and let him go and took off he ended up winning the race anyway but the fact that he stopped and helped that guy i mean that pretty much says it about yeah that's character right there yeah but anyway so let's move along now. So in your so in your first race now, at this point, are you are you uh, like on your computer, on your phone, on YouTube, seeing other people's videos? Is that starting to inspire you into getting into getting your own camera? Or did you do did you have a camera at uh, Octopus your first race? So at Octopus, I had like a old old GoPro, a couple years old. Now when I'll take this and I'll, I'll film, I'll do a little bit of filming. I'll. I'll just capture this. I had no intention of putting it out online. Uh, I after that race, I didn't even look at the footage because I, I it was a good race, but I got my butt kicked and I, I rewatched it a little bit and it wasn't the greatest footage. And I went, "This is fine, you know, whatever." However, after that, I started looking at other ultras that were coming up, and I, as someone who had just gotten into ultra running, you, you go to ultra sign up and you see a bunch of races and you don't know if it's the, the most fun, awesome race in the world, or if this is, you know, just a, a lower tier, you know, backyard, go out and run, you know, on a course, you, know, you, don't, you don't know what you're getting into. Right. And so I Googled, I Googled these races, I'd find pictures, and I would find no videos on them, no videos at all. And I noticed there were some YouTube creators, uh, mostly in the California area, some that do some, you know, Georgia videos. And I was watching their videos, and I was just, I, I loved watching it. 
I loved seeing the course. I loved hearing how they felt about different sections. And so I decided, I asked my wife, I'm like, okay, you know, I've gotten in this running thing. Can I also get a new GoPro? She's like, what's wrong with the old GoPro? I go, it doesn't have image stabilization. You you need image stabilization for these trail races or else you're going to be giving people, you know, upset stomach and making them dizzy. So my intention going into these races was I want to film these races, put them online so that I can share it with other people in the community for people like me that are looking for races and want recommendations, but have no idea what they're getting into. And also someone who, you know, maybe if someone's competitive, give them a look at the course. So that was, and still is my, my overall desire for making the videos is, uh, sharing, well, not only now the courses, but also my love of the trail running, uh, in general, just trying to inspire people to go out and, Hey, look for a local park run 5k, 10k and go, go run on some trails. Cause it, you're going to meet some awesome people and you may have an experience like with like me where it's just a life changing uh kind of different paradigm that your life takes yeah yeah and i know you know i've pretty much watched all of them even you know, I, I think the first one i saw was cruel jewel and uh but and i've watched all of them since then and not until i saw the one from forgotten florida that's that night when i watched it that's when i sent you the first message about being you know talking to you for the podcast because i could feel i could feel your love for the sport your passion for the sport and the desire to help others and welcome others into this awesome community and it it, it kind of made me tear up uh <laughs> seeing that to be honest you know and uh i said i got to have him to share that passion on the podcast because that's exactly why i have this podcast is to to share that running community love you know with others who have no idea what they're missing (laughs) oh yes sir and i it took me a while to find out the direction i kind of want to take these videos in and finally with uh you know across florida and then just survive and then forgotten florida all these videos i was like i just be my be myself (laughs) you know be happy i for cruel jewel, I, for a lot of them, I was trying to be maybe a little bit more edgy. I I don't know how to describe it, but I I look back at that cruel jewel video one, and I just there's things I look back at all my videos to tell you the truth, and there's things I want to do differently. But that one specifically, I, I feel like I didn't capture the course. Uh, I have a rude gesture in that one, and I you know I, I curse a little bit, and I'm like that's not really me. That's not me out there. And so for I'm happy you said that. Like that forgotten Florida one, I just. I was like, yeah, just be yourself. Don't try to be some cool YouTube guy. People don't want that. They want to see. They want to see someone who's honest and you know shows their love for this stuff. And I tell you what, from since I started just being myself, I've had way more people reach out to me for advice. Uh, way more people that reach out want to know about certain races. If I'd run races with them, and uh, just a lot more positivity from the community. So I- I'm really happy I decided to you know not put on some you know, gruff persona and just be the person I want to be as, as a sappy as that sounds. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome though. So let's go back to the races. So your first hundred was long haul. Yes, sir. And so how did that go? Uh, man, that was, that was when the floodgates really opened. Uh, I think Vero beach lit the fire and long haul. That's what really stoked it. Uh, I had Vero beach and then I had another a hundred kilometer race after that. Uh, about six weeks before long haul was like a training race, but long haul was the one where that was a hundred miles. You get a buckle. Wh- what is that going to be like getting that buckle? How are my legs going to feel? 
at, you know, those last 40 miles. And, uh, I didn't know what I was really getting into with long haul. I didn't know at the time I had heard it was a good first hundred miler because of the aid stations. I didn't know that it was a social gathering for all the, all the <laughs> ultra runners in Florida, essentially <laughs> it's, you know, you got, you know, 150 people running that race, but you got 250, 300 runners that show up to crew, to pace, to, to hang out, to cook food, to work at the aid stations. So mm. that was, that was just a, it was an amazing experience. Even when I was tired, I met uh, coach Chris, uh, ran with Neil Moser, ran with Scott Hoover. And every, every lap we took 15 minutes, laid at their tent, ate some food, stretched out, you know, talked to coach Chris, uh, really didn't have any aspirations for racing that one just just wanted to finish and found a group of people that were the same as me who that was their first hundred they wanted to finish so after getting across the finish line getting my buckle i was i looked at it and i went man i'm gonna have a lot more of these uh coming up because this was an emotional physical awesome experience yeah yeah i I went down to long haul this year for the first time and i just had to volunteer and cook and that kind of stuff pays Mm -hmm. through and uh, it was life changing for me, man, to be there, man. That, like you said, it's just a big family reunion of the Florida ultra running community. And uh, and that last hour, man, it's about as close as you come to the dang golden hour of Western states. <laughs> that, you know, outside, yeah, yeah. outside of Western states. I mean, it was. I sit there and cried watching people come across that line that last hour and uh, earn that buckle. You know, that's been fighting for freaking thirty hours. You know. It was amazing. Uh, It's beautiful. And that race too, you, you know, you see people from all walks of life. You see people that are in the best shape going for, you know, 13, 14 hours. You see runners that are just getting into it. It's the first hundred where they're just trying to beat that 30 hours. But the way the, the loops, the loops can kind of wear on you after a while. Definitely any course with the loops can, you know, wear on you mentally. But with that one, you were always so close to another runner that, you could have been on your ninth lap or your fifth lap. You were always you're always seeing someone else. You're always going walking with someone, running with someone. So just the just the social aspect and camaraderie. I've been on many hundred milers where the last 30, 40 miles, I don't see a soul in sight. And it's it's mentally just beaten down on you where as long haul that last, like you said, those last few hours, people are wrapping it up, they're cheering you on, and you just have that that much more support from other crew, other runners, and it's 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 the perfect first hundred miler. It's the perfect, you know, not only the first one. It's the perfect one to get a PR on. And I know that course is uh, going to a new location next year, and uh, I, I think it's going to just continue to grow and be one of Florida's premier uh, social ultra running events. Yeah, definitely. I, as soon as it after my experience, as soon as. That sucker opened up registration. Of course, I signed up for it. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't blame you. Well, that. That, yeah, that's that always fills up quick. Yeah. So, uh, so then you moving on. So was Cruel Jewel your your second hundred miler? Yeah. So after that one, as I mentioned, the next I had a uh, I decided to do the Swamp 100K as kind of a Florida mountain race to kind of you know hit some hit some you know, a little bit of vert. I think in that race the hundred K had like you know, a few thousand feet of vert. So I'm like, well, that's, a, that'll be a good test of my legs. As I mentioned, uh, that one humbled me. And then, you know, second hundred miler ever was in uh, May, uh, Cruel Jewel 100, which I, I want to, 
it's kind of hard. I, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I knew it was going to be one of the hardest things I've ever done. And uh, I'm happy that I, I'm happy that I had that uh, that cautiousness because I remember I, as soon as I got to the top of Cusabald, you start off in Vogel State Park. Uh, the year I did it, you start off in Vogel, and you have a two thousand foot climb up Cusa. And I got to the top of Cusa, and there was a little plaque that said, you know, Cusabald, you know, the elevation. And I turned to the room behind me, and I go, that was it. And he goes, what do you mean that was it? I, I go, I, that wasn't easy by any means, but I just, in my head, I had pictured this grueling multiple hour climb and to get to the top of it and not, not be passed out or legs throbbing. I was like, maybe I can actually do this race. So, uh, that, that race was something special because it, uh, it really, it stretched me to my absolute limits. And I thought that long haul 100, had pushed my legs to the limits, but coming up on mile 106 of the Cruel Jewel, uh, going back toward Vogel, getting that large buckle, I, I had never been so tired in my life. It took me uh, it took me 36 hours to run that race, and I didn't stop to nap even once. Uh, I stopped to sit a few times, but didn't stop to nap at all. And that that really showed me that you know, just a few months prior, I had thought that 100 miles on flat ground for 23 hours was my physical limit. But here I am a few months later with some decent training, a little bit, you know, as much training as three months, three, four months can get you, uh, doing 36 hours, 106 miles. So that was the first, first time where my brain kind of clicked and went, well, what else, what's, what's the craziest things I can start doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll never, I, I, you know, I think we became Facebook friends after the swamp, I, but I remember seeing, oh, I think on Facebook or Instagram that, picture with you with that huge smile with that big belt buckle because that sucker is huge and and uh you can i mean i don't think i've seen a person look as proud and happy (laughs) as that picture there that was great oh yeah that's that's kind of funny well you mentioned the smile too i'll just go a little off topic that's that's always something that you know you've probably seen in my videos uh i can be at the the end of a race and i'll still be smiling even though i'm in pain and uh one of the kind of jumping ahead to Georgia death race this year, I had entered it with a little bit of a foot injury. And by the time the race day started, I had no pain at all. And I was on the last 10 miles of that race, talking to other runners, uh, smiling, giddy, talkative. And I could just tell they were, they were hurting quite a bit. And they were like, man, what, what did this guy take to make him so good? Did this guy <laughs> take some drugs or something? <laughs> like, why is he so happy right now? And I was like, I even, I kind of, I even told him, I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry if I'm being too chipper right now. I I'm not injured. I'm feeling good. And <laughs> so that's one of the things that I always try to do in a race, even if I'm hurting is always put a smile on when I go into an aid station at mile 80, 90 and other runners are kind of hurting and grumbling. I always try to say, please, thank you. Uh, let the let the aid station volunteers know how much I appreciate them, and I always try to have a smile and kind of bring some of that positivity. So uh, that's that's kind of sometimes it's forced. Sometimes I got to force force a smile, but the more you know, the more I, I force the smile, the kind of more it becomes natural in subsequent races. So I found myself actually being giddy and happy uh, <laughs> toward the end of some of these races. Yeah, I were uh, back in my first hundred, which was Daytona. I was running with the, my pacer, who is now my coach, Chris Twiggs. I don't know if you know him, but I was. It was like mile thirty, I think, or something like that, and I was already starting to feel a little bit of hip pain, you know. And I said, "So, what's what's your mentality uh, when you start hurting? Do you stop and treat treat it, 
or do you just kind of power through it, you know, or what? And he said, well, he, he said, I'll tell you this story. You know, there, uh, there was these people when they were working on the Alaskan pipeline, these Americans that went up there, welders and things that went up there to work on it, they were all freezing cold and they could not wear enough clothes to get cold. And these Eskimos, the na- you know, the natives there, uh, they would show out, you know, they were the show up and they were the laborers and they would not appear to be cold. And so the foreman of the Americans, you know, the welders up went to the chief of the locals and asked him, why are your people so comfortable, you know, and he's with the cold. And he said, well, they came out here, they come out here and they expect to be cold. And y'all are coming out here trying not to get cold. Mm. And and so, you know, when you sign up for a freaking hundred miler, especially in the mountains, it's going to hurt, you know, and you pay good money for that pain. And so why not smile? Because you're getting what you paid for. You know, you're getting your money's worth. And man, that turned my day around right there. You know, I completely forgot about the little bit of pain that I was in. And I started enjoying it, embracing it, you know, like Dean Carnazes said, because that's really what makes me sign up for the next race. You know, the pain is not even going away before I'm back on ultra sign up looking for that next race and next challenge. Oh, yes, sir. And one thing I, uh, one thing I say to myself, uh, when it, when I start really getting in my head about the pain, is I stop and I go, I say out loud, I go, this is why you're here. Like, you're not here because this is easy. You're here because you want to see what you can do. You want to see if you can get this thing done. Like, this is, you signed up to hurt. Like, that's, you didn't sign up to get a buckle. You didn't sign up for the buffet of food afterwards. You signed up <laughs> to test yourself. And so it just kind of, yep. it always pumps me up. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so uh, so we got the cruel jewel. And so what's next? What's after that? Oh man, after let me let me think now. After Cool Jewel, it was just a it was a series of uh, of races that I just I can't believe I signed up for. That whole year was just what can I do next? Uh, funny enough, after Cruel Jewel was the Vero Beach Octopus Hundred Miler. Uh, big big uh, <clears throat> test of mine was I I wanted to go back a year later after I did Vero Beach and do the Hundred Miler. And so I signed up for it and I was actually more nervous for that Vero beach hundred miler than I was for cruel jewel just because the heat the, I'll tell, I'll tell you right now, the hardest races I've ever done. Uh, number one would be cruel jewel 100. Uh, number two would be the Vero beach octopus. And then, uh, you know, tied for third and fourth would probably be Georgia death race and maybe, maybe even, a uh, Georgia jewel, but, uh, it's v- Vero beach just between the heat. And those long, long paved roads and jungle trail, which is a, a packed dirt sauna that you have to go through. Uh, that one I was actually really worried for and uh, ended up going through that one. Uh, kind of made some of the same mistakes as the last year. I, I'm, you know, I thought I had learned my, my mistakes, but I didn't quite learn. So uh, fought some dehydration, fought some foot issues, but, uh, you know, came out, came out fresh on that one uh, after Veer. Funny enough, Vero Beach was part of this thing called the Summer Slam. So I had Vero Beach one weekend. Next weekend, I had uh, Joseph Fuller's Skunk Ape 30K night run. And then the week after that, I had the, a marathon over sand dunes. So after that, uh, after that Vero Beach, I was, uh, I was thinking about dropping out of the other two. But again, kind of going back to uh, Cruel Jewel, I, you know, I went, man, I, I can do crazy things and recover from them. And as long as I put myself out there, maybe I can even finish them. So I said, I'm not going to drop these races. I'm going to show up. And if I step one foot on the course in DNF, so be it. I at least showed up. And again, proved to myself that I can show up 
put my get get out there, kind of get in the zone and go into my, you know, Courtney DeWalter calls it her pain cave. Yeah. Uh, you know, go into my little pain cave, uh, you know, enjoy the suffering and get something done. So that was another kind of uh, I don't want to call it a feather in my cap, but it was another uh, it was another series, series of races that really boosted uh, my ego and my uh, my view of what I can actually get done. Yeah. It showed that you're capable of doing really hard things. <laughs> yeah. One one thing I should mention too that uh, kind of to wrap up my entire 2022, my entire last year was that after a long haul, uh, you know, I was already kind of looking ahead toward the end of the year, and so I had put out a comment, a message on Facebook, uh, saying, "Hey, at the end of the year, I'm going to run the 200 mile across Florida, uh, this crazy race where you start on the West Coast uh, and Homosassa, around Homosassa." and end on the East coast in St. Augustine at the pier. And, uh, Matt Clapper, uh, now a real good friend of mine at the time we had just, we had passed each other long haul. He said, Hey, I'll, I'll run this with you. I don't know who you are, but you seem like you're someone who's motivated. And so kind of the whole year was, uh, built up for that across four to 200. And, you know, I do say that these races like the cruel jewel, like the, the summer slam, the Vero beach octopus hundred miler, those did boost my ego up, but, you know, after each event, ha, you know, feeling the pain, I always had this slight doubt in my mind of, Hey, can I actually get this 200 miler done? I did a hundred miler in January. I want to do a 200 miler within a year. That, <laughs> that just seems absurd. <laughs> and, you know, we'll get into that, but yeah, at the end of the year, Matt Clapper and I, we planned, we, we trained, uh, we actually never run a single mile together. Uh, never even run in a, the same race since uh, since Long Haul 100, and we towed the line of across Florida, and we we took on the whole thing, and we made one hell of a team. So uh, the whole year was just a big build up to one final, you know, crescendo of a race, and uh, that was quite an experience. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the video from that one, and you know, it it made me think about you know i would love to do that I, I know i have no chance of the of beating the time but you don't have to beat the time to go out there and have the experience and so oh, you know, I like it's an fkt thing i would be going out here would you know so i would love to have that experience uh it made me think that you know that's something you know the 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 whole thing that you can to go after it was it was quite attractive to me for sure yeah. that and, and i really enjoyed the podcast with joe with you guys talking about it it was really fun it was it was fun riffing with joe and matt clapper that was a that was a really actually i don't usually listen back to the whole podcast very much i usually listen back to make sure i didn't say anything too dumb or that my voice didn't <laughs> sound too <laughs> too annoying but that one i started listening to it and i listened on a run and i listened to the whole thing all in one shot just because it was kind of like when I make my videos, I like making them because it's like, it's reliving the journey. It, listen to that. It was like, I was just reliving the whole thing for the 10th time. And I wasn't even sick of that. It was, it was such, such an incredible experience. And I, I just, I wanted to relive it. And that's why I kind of, I wanted to make that video kind of documentary style to kind of show the whole journey and, you know, show that this is, it's a, it's not a race. It's really an adventure. Uh, the race director, Ron, uh, for the Across Florida 200, he gives you the G GPX file and he pretty much says, hey, follow this. But if you have to go off course, 
it's all good. Just keep it around 200 miles, like make it your own adventure. And he has no, the only rule is that you have to do it all in one go. You can't do it segmented, but his, his intention for that, for that race is for you to have an adventure across Florida uh, and make it, make it have good experiences. And everyone I've talked to that's finished that race that even hasn't finished that race. It's been life-changing. Yeah. So part of it, when you start out, just kind of, just kind of go through that a little bit for people that haven't seen the video. So you start off in this kind of in a town, right? So you kind of go through a little neighborhood before you hit a trail. Oh yes, sir. You start off and it's a, it's a little, it's actually, you start off at a park and it's about, it's a couple miles until you have to hop a fence. The instructions for the race say hop a fence and it's this chicken wire fence with a little <laughs> dip in it. And at that point you're like, man, this really is some back road stuff. And I love that race because it's not, you have the races that take you through Daytona, take you through Miami, the big cities. This one takes you through, you know, these little, these little towns. It takes you through Ocala. It takes you through Palatka. So you start off going through these little towns. People, you know, are kind of looking at you weird because they don't, they're not used to seeing someone with a hydration pack (laughs) running, running, running down the street. And then it takes you on, takes you off down to some power line roads, some sugar sand. Uh, you get you get everything for the across Florida 200. Uh, and it pretty much just follows the roads, back roads, uh, not really very popular popular roads. There's a few main roads where you kind of touch on, but after the first 30 miles, you pretty much hit the fort. You hit the, uh, ah, the something seminal trail. And that's a beautiful, beautiful trail. It, it's, it's, I think it's a subsection of the Florida trail. Don't, don't take my word on that. <laughs> But it takes you through a bunch of different trailheads, a land bridge trailhead, a Santos, a bunch of amazing little areas to where you could fill up your water, take a quick break at a park. And after the first 100 miles is when you finally hit Ocala Forest. So right at Ocala is where you go from, you know, the cities, the towns, the maintained trails to now you're in, you're, you're on your own 40 miles to the Ocala National Forest, which it's just it's quite daunting when you when you enter that forest you're you're so looking forward to getting into the forest but once you get into there it really the reality of the situation hits you i'm going to be spending 40 miles self-supported through a forest <laughs> and uh it was uh it was such we met such an amazing family there uh because there was this campground that we decided to stop and get water from uh, juniper springs and we were in the process of looking for a place to stop and lay down on the concrete beside the bathhouse to get a, get 20 minutes of sleep before we started going again. Uh, Matt was looking rough. Uh, I was I was starting to feel the miles. Uh, Matt pushed me real on in the early part, but that middle section, he started kind of hurting a bit. And uh, I wasn't too far behind him. And uh, this family came up to us. Uh, I'm sorry, this, this, uh, this gentleman came up to us. And he said, hey, what the heck are you guys doing out here? <laughs> and we kind of <laughs> told him our story. And he said, "Hey, come back, uh, come back to our our, our campsite. Uh, we'll f- we'll give you a hot dog or two. I thought I was going to get a cold hot dog and a pat on the butt. You know, hey, good luck. They <laughs> they start growing up food. They're they're pulling out hot dogs, hot dog buns, fruit, vegetables. They blow up an air mattress for us, and I couldn't believe the hospitality they were showing us. And uh, right before we left, we spent about two hours with them, a little longer than we expected. But man, Marty, we just did not want to leave. They were such awesome people. And uh, right before we left, they said, oh, thank you so much for stopping and talking to us. And I, we went, what? <laughs> thank <laughs> you for giving us all your food. And, your, and they're like, oh, no. We, they said, no, we got much more out of this than you did. And I go, no, you don't understand. We were probably 
in the middle of thinking about quitting before your hospitality. So you're the ones that made the rest of this trip possible. And uh, it was just, it was so amazing meeting them and seeing that they got just as much out of, you know, talking to a bunch of sweaty, weird guys on the trail as we did get their hospitality. So that was, that was probably the highlight of the trip. And, and I turned to Matt after that and I said, I started off on this journey, not knowing what I wanted to get out of it. But that right there is, is I don't, we had another hundred and we had another 80 miles to go. And I go, nothing's going to happen in the next 80 miles to, to eclipse what just happened. I, we met some trail angels. We saw the hospitality of another group of human beings that didn't owe anything to us. And, and that was, that was the purpose of this trip. That's what I needed to see. And that, that really, uh, you know, I was, you know, that really made me feel more, more charitable. And that's kind of why, you know, as we'll talk about, uh, I really pushed hard to become part of, uh, the charity bigger than the trail, which we'll get into that, but it was just uh, the push I needed to, to really give back to the community. Yeah. That's cool. Gives you a little faith in humanity. Oh yes, sir. And I, I always try to have faith in humanity. You know, you see things that at work and life that on the news that kind of just just drop your drop your faith just a little bit. But then you actually go out and talk to people in person and talk to your fellow neighbor and, you know, faith in humanity is just restored. And which is why I like going to these ultra running events. The people, as we mentioned, that you meet there, you talk to a few of them and your your faith in humanity uh, is bound to be restored pretty quickly after going to some of these events, meet some of these amazing people because there's there's tons of people from all walks of life with incredible stories. As 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 you know, you uh that's what you've been doing. You've been talking to these incredible people. Yeah, I love it. Once you leave Ocala, you get to is Palatka after Ocala. Palatka is uh, right after Ocala, and uh, Palatka. It's it's a nice little town as long as you make sure to stay on the main roads and don't go down any crazy back roads. And uh, I don't know if you were listening to the uh, Joe's podcast with Loveland, but they went down this uh, one back road and they they met some uh, they met some homeowners that had some weapons and were kind of asking them what they were doing. So uh, I think he's redoing the course this year. But great little town. It is a it is a kind of a back back. It's a it's a not a. I don't want to call it a backcountry town because it definitely isn't. It's definitely a bigger one, but there are some areas where, you know, you don't want to go on someone's property, but uh, you go through Platka and right after that, you have the Platka to St. Augustine trail, which Ron was telling us, Hey, it's all downhill from there. Once you hit this trail, it's all downhill. I don't know what, you know, what alternate universe we stepped into, but <clears throat> from Platka on that trail to St. Augustine, I swear we climbed 2000 feet. I feel like every, <laughs> it was constantly, we were constantly going up a hill. And finally, once we got within, you know, 10 miles of St. Augustine, it started dipping down a bit, but I, I was, I was, <laughs> I was cursing left and right. Matt Clapper wasn't happy. I'm like, how, how is, how is central Florida lower than the coastline? It doesn't make any sense. And I, I'm sure it wasn't quite that bad. I'm sure in my head after, you know, spending 180 miles on, on back roads and back trails, it, uh, it was maybe a little skewed in my mind, but it definitely felt like we were climbing quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So my friend, I think my friend Tina came out and met you all at some point right there around Palatka. Is that right, Tina Wolf? Yes, yeah, she did. She met us on the uh, on the Palatka St. Augustine Trail that I was just talking about. She, uh, We pull up and we see a car with some lights on. And we're like, who's this? And it, she goes, oh, hi. You know, introduce yourself. I'm Tina. I live in the area. I was following you guys and figured you'd be out around this time. And I'm telling you, it was it was pretty late at night that she had to wait to come out to us. But she opened that trunk. She had energy drinks. She had snacks. She had pizza. 
she went in her fridge, grabbed all her leftovers, all her, <laughs> you know, went to her pants. She grabbed all her snacks and just went, Hey, you guys can have a pick of the litter. And I, man, that was, that was, that was pretty awesome that she was out there uh, looking after us. That was, that was so cool. She's one of the people that I was over supporting at uh, Savannah this past weekend. She had a distance PR, I think, of 70 miles for the weekend. That's so, awesome. Yeah, good for her. She, no, was, my, she, she, was, she was a pacer for me at uh, Daytona, and so I was trying to help her push her goals. Awesome, awesome. Now I got to see, got to hear she did well. Yeah. All right. So then you, so any more excitement to talk about between there so, and St. Augustine? So, uh, not much more excitement. Honestly, it was, uh, it was just a painful grind fest. I, I look back on it. That wasn't the fondest part of the trip because both of us were, both of us were starting to, our bodies were starting to fail a bit. And so, uh, you know, just, going into that pain cave <laughs> finally we get to we get to in front of the uh the hilton where we were actually staying uh matt was it matt's wife actually got us got everyone a room at the hilton so we looked and i said matt there it is that we get to go to sleep soon so as soon as we hit the hilton we started running and uh mind you by right now it's about it's about 2 two thirty a.m so all this all this whole trip in my head i had pictured it as we finish in the daytime there's people on the pier uh, maybe people are going to cheer. Maybe they're going to, you know, hold us, hold us on their shoulders. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this picture, you know, this part, this people just going, wow, you guys ran across Florida. Well, finished it, hit the pier, hit, you know, we hit the the stopping point, which was right when the pier starts. Of course, it's 2.30. There's no one there. And I look and the piers, you know, it's a few hundred, hundred yards to get to the end of the pier. And I go, Matt, I'm not ending this journey at the start of the pier. We ran to St. Augustine. I'm ending at the end of the pier. And he said, heck yeah we are and so you know stopped the watch pretty much did the whole pier uh just because we wanted to say that we went to the end of the pier and got to the end of it looking out at the water you know it's just darkness the waves and i remember thinking i'm like man in my head this whole time i've been thinking about this big welcome of people fishing on the pier you know <laughs> being there but finishing starting starting by ourselves the whole journey you know mostly alone we had our wives help us at mile you know at 30 at 100 and at 140 they met us with some supplies but other than those brief stops where we saw some friendly faces uh stopped and saw tina uh the majority of this thing was alone so it just it felt right that we finished it alone in the dark uh just sharing that sharing that journey sharing that end of the journey between us and i you know i wouldn't have it any other way now didn't i see that you had went out beforehand and like hid some care packages with some food in it and stuff Oh yes, sir. And I, I was, I, uh, I took some baggies and I put some little, little Debbie cakes. I put some applesauce pouches. I put some water and I placed those strategically all through Ocala. Cause like I said, before Ocala, there's some towns, some trailheads. Once you hit the 40 miles in Ocala, you know, unless you want to filter your water, you're kind of out of luck. And so I had, I had my iodine tablets with me, but I wanted to reduce the risk of any, uh, any waterborne illness. So, uh, went, you know, you think of a nice little aid station. You stop. You put your feet up. Uh, our aid station through Ocala was we found a we found a spot in the dirt that didn't have ants. I ripped open our bag. We shoved our food full of uh, protein bars, little Debbie cakes, uh, applesauce. Drank our water, refilled our bottles, and you know went well. Let's get out of here, <laughs> which actually honestly made the journey a lot quicker uh, because when you're sitting in the dirt fighting off mosquitoes, 
uh, you don't really want to stay around too long. So that kind of contributed to us kind of, you know, getting our butts in gear and getting out of Ocala. Yeah. So that finished off 2022 right there, right? Did you wrap it up for the year with that? That finished off 2022. <laughs> we did that in uh, in late November. We got we actually set the course record. We uh, we broke David Goggins's uh, overall course record, uh, which I'll tell you right now, if you look into it, he did that race. If you read his newest book, he did that race with like a week's notice. I think a yeah. few, like two weeks after he did Moab 240. So, you know, I always, I, I don't like to brag too much about that one. Cause I know David come back and probably kick our butts, <laughs> <laughs> but we finished that race and no more than 25 days later, uh, Jerome Barrett and uh, Casey Northup, uh, they went out for their cross forward attempt. Uh, unfortunately, Casey, she had some ankle issues. Uh, but but uh, Jerome kept going, and Jerome beat our time by a good, uh, I think it was about six hours. So, you know, I, I, I had a, that was my first, you know, course record. Uh, I was, we were going to get the victory, and <clears throat> I wouldn't say that victories are meant to be broken. And I, even in my video, I say, I hope someone breaks this so it could encourage more people to come out and try this course. I was just kind of hoping it would stand for a little more than 25 days. <laughs> and actually, I actually told Jerome that I go, I go, man, congrats on beating it. But could you, could you have waited like a year so I could, I could, you know, embellish it. But I tell you what, uh, Marty, I'm happy he didn't because when he beat that record, I decided, I decided that I wanted to do something crazy. And so I signed up for the, uh, just survive 125, uh, January, uh, January 3rd. So about five weeks after I did across Florida, I went, I want to try to finish this, 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 this race. And if you haven't heard of the Just Survivor 125, it's a race that starts at Hope Sound Beach, goes out 60, uh, 100K, 62.5 miles to Lake Okeechobee, all the way back. 125 miles doesn't seem like, you know, for me, hey, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem too bad. Well, that course is probably 20 to 40% underwater uh, through some, through some wetlands. And additionally, the only aid you're allowed on that course is one single drop bucket, a five-gallon bucket, placed every 15 miles. Uh, so the first one, 15 miles from the start, all the way out to the lake at the turnaround point, then all the way back. So you have you have 15-mile increments to go where you have to carry your own food, water, uh, no external aid, and whatever can fit in a five-gallon bucket. So nothing taped to the outside of the bucket, nothing taped to the top of the bucket, food, water, clothes, shoes in the buckets. and uh, I was able to uh, run that race and I got actually got the course record for that one. Uh, I wasn't really going for the course record. I just kind of wanted to finish it. But at about the half halfway point, I was talking to Andy Barrett who had the previous course record and he was telling me, he goes, Hey, I, you know, he said the same thing. I just said records are meant to be broken. He's like, I think you can do this. And, you know, hearing that from Andy Barrett, you know, a legend that he thinks I could break this record. Uh, it just motivated me that much more to to kind of push. And so, uh, like I said, I'm happy that that across Florida record was was broken because I went off and did this race that's arguably crazier <laughs> than across Florida. I was able to come out as uh, one of the two finishers that year out of the 15 runners that started. Yeah. So, yeah, that one, that particular trail, you know, I, I, I'm interested and intrigued by lots of scary races. But that lake to ocean trail, I am not interested in. <laughs> well, even that, listen, you just have to be okay with uh, potential alligators next to you and wild hogs. Uh, and honestly, I am, not, you, I am not okay with it. <laughs> I, tell you, I tell you what, I, I wasn't even worried about the alligator. Okay, I'm going to take this back. 
I wasn't worried about the alligators until I was going back. Uh, there was on the return trip at night, I was in about knee high water and, uh, it was pitch blackout aside from my headlamp, which was, had about 10% battery left and was dying. Uh, that's when I started getting a little worried about the gators, <laughs> but honestly, I was more worried about running into a, a mama hog and her her piglets because uh, those those hogs can get quite territorial and they uh, they can get quite mean when you're encroaching on a uh, on their on their uh, their habitat. So I had a few run ins with a couple of them. We more we more scared each other, uh, and we both kind of ran off in opposite directions. But yeah, that one that was uh, that was another race where. I started realizing how how crazy I am because I I never feel more alive than when I'm closer to being in danger. Uh, I I think it's an addiction thing. I think it's I'm an adrenaline junkie that doesn't like jumping out of airplanes or you know riding motorcycles. I'm an adrenaline junkie who likes kind of living close to the edge of my physical boundaries by doing these races and going off in, in kind of wilder and wilder habitats and going under more more and more stressful situations. So that's kind of that's kind of where I, uh, I get my thrill from. Yeah. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. My, my first ever trail race was uh, the Ragnar trail race over there in Alafia or Alafia. I don't know how to say it, but I remember my, the nighttime race I did, which was like at two o'clock in the morning, the nighttime loop I did. And it runs right beside like this swampy little area. And I was running like eight minute mile run flying past that swamp because I just knew an alligator was going to jump out and bite my leg off. <laughs> but when I finished that segment, man, I was, I felt so alive just from doing something that scared the hell out of me. You know, it was, it was invigorating. I, I tell you what, I don't know if you've been listening to the, the Florida news, but you got to be more worried to running about uh, running through a residential neighborhood about gators now <laughs> than out in the wild. There's right. been so many, so many gator attacks just because they live in these retention ponds. They have no natural food. They get hungry. You know, they see they see someone walking their dog. They go, well, I'm getting either the dog or getting the person. And there's been a few uh, gator attacks where they they've been hiding under people's cars and you know, so it's actually probably safer to to run through some of these wild trails where the gators are full of fish rather than, you know, these residential areas where you got a gator hiding in a bush waiting to snap at you. <laughs> right. They got plenty of food out there. Yeah. Uh, so was the Just Survive, was that your first win? That was uh, that was my first overall win. Yeah, I had a I've had a, a you know, a, a group place win of uh, the first my actually. <laughs> Funny enough to bring it back on the Vero Beach 50 Octopus 50 miler. I got first place in my age group, third place overall, uh, partially because there were less runners doing the 50 miler. And so I'm not going to, I'm I'll probably say that getting first place in my, in my, uh, in my uh, gender probably propelled me to kind of, you know, do more ultras. But this, the Just Survive 125 was my first, you know, on the books, first person to cross the finish line. And uh, that was a, that was a, crazy feeling especially for a race of that caliber yeah i bet so that was january now forgotten florida was that your next race after that <laughs> yeah so then about five about five weeks later i had signed up for forgotten florida i had signed up for that one uh, the previous year after i helped uh volunteer at that one so the just survive was completely uh it I'm going to say on paper, it was a terrible idea. Shouldn't have done it, but you know, in execution, <laughs> I, I, it was perfect. <laughs> so after just survive five weeks later, I had a uh, cross Florida. Uh, I was going to actually, I'm sorry. I had forgotten Florida, which like I mentioned, I was gonna, I was going to call and I was going to try to defer that race. 
but you know, I felt my legs. I went for some runs and I went, I think I can do this. Uh, got, got through forgotten Florida. I had a bit of a knee injury. Uh, the last, the first 20 miles of that race went really well. Uh, the last 80 were in quite a bit of pain. Uh, that race, Sean also lets you drop out of the 50 mile point and get a 50 mile finisher medal. But I hit that 50 mile point and I was in pain. But again, from doing these races, I, you know, I knew I'm like, this is only a fraction of what I'm capable of. Like I can finish this race with a bit of, a bit of knee pain. Uh, again, completely not smart, terrible idea, (laughs) but I, I ended up pushing through when I ended up finishing that race, uh, albeit uh, a bit emotional and in a bit of pain. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. And and like I said, that the video from that from that race was really awesome. Yeah, I, I that was the like I said, each of my videos, I I look back and I kind of I don't like them. Not because I don't. It's because each video I do, I get a little better at editing. I get a little better at capturing scenes from the trail that I that I want to capture that I have in my head when I go into a race. And so kind of each video, I feel like I'm getting a little bit better and capturing, I call it capturing that lightning in a bottle, like trying to capture that feeling of the race, because yeah. you go back and look at, you know, like the George, the cruel jewel video or some of my initial videos. And I don't think, I don't think the videos really make you want to go out and run the race for the across Florida, for forgotten Florida, for my newest Georgia death race one. I feel like those videos, you watch them and you kind of go, man, I kind of want to get up and go running right now. And that's, that's my whole purpose of making those videos. I, I want someone, I want someone to watch my whole video so I can get, you know, the views and get the, gets the, we'll get the watch times. But if you won't stop my video halfway through and go out for a run, Hey, I did my job. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So that moves us to, uh, the death race then. The Georgia death race. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. my, my return to Georgia. Uh, like I said, I went into that one. Uh, that was six weeks after Forgotten Florida. Uh, I'm kind of like hot chocolate, well, Lucian, except uh, I uh, he does way more races than me, and he stays in way better. He, he doesn't get hurt quite as often, so you know, power to him. But you know, my schedule is also pretty packed. But his nothing compared to his. But I have mine pretty close together. But going into Georgia Death Race, as I mentioned, the days leading up to that race, I was I was right about to drop out. I was going to defer it, and I. I went, you know what? I've been playing. I really want to go to Blairsville or go to, go up to Blairsville, go up to uh, Northern Georgia. I'm going to see what I can do. If I, if I can get that spike, start the race and drop out by the first aid station, so be it. Uh, something cool about that race that I talked to Sean about kind of the purpose behind the spike is the spike is a physical representation of the burdens you carry through life. And he says that everyone that DNFs that tries tries to hand him that spike back, he goes, "No, that's that's your spike now. That's your burden for not finishing the race. Wow. You carry that. You carry that the whole year. You bring it back <laughs> next year, and you finish the race." And wow. so, in my mind, I had that as as soon as I picked up that spike from the packet pickup, I went, "I don't care if I get two miles down the road and collapse. I have my burden for next year to come back to train smarter to to do things different." Uh, so that was my mentality going into the race. Hence why uh, I started the race and I got to the end of it healthy and I was all smiles and all giddy and cheerful, but that's kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, but yeah, Georgia death race this year was, it was, uh, I talked to a few runners and they said it was probably one of the harder years that it was actually uh, for the Georgia death race, primarily 
that first that first 20 30 miles you go up kusa you hit duncan ridge uh duncan ridge is a very very runnable but very technical section of trail that you need to be careful on and the first eight to ten miles of that race were nothing but mud not not you know clay and muddy it was straight the leaves mud slippery uh you probably seen my video but i talk about how i I fell at one point. I almost fell down the side of Duncan Ridge, and I I, I caught a tree. And luckily for that tree, uh, that saved my that saved my race that day because I would have taken quite a tumble. But it was uh, it was no joke, and there were a lot of runners that dropped out pretty early on. Just I think because that mud was just taking it out of their legs. But you know, again, as I mentioned, for for uh, Swamp 100K for Cruel Jewel, I go into these mountain races now. And I have the utmost respect for the course. I, you know, I approach it and it's, I almost treat the course as a living thing. I have such respect for it. Uh, and I run the race with a lot of caution in the beginning. And because I ran kind of cautiously in the beginning, aside from the, <laughs> the fall almost down the side of uh, Duncan Ridge, I was able to hit the second half of that race, which is way more runnable, a lot flat, a lot of, I'm not going to say flatter. It still has some inclines and declines, but a lot less technical, a lot of Jeep roads, a lot of back roads. And I was able to hit that. And like I said, have a smile on my face that I was 30, 40, 50, 60 miles into the Georgia death race. And I was running, <laughs> uh, not only running, but running pain-free. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So how's how's the knee now, a few weeks later? Oh, um, knees, it was actually my foot that was hurting. My knee healed <laughs> up. Uh, my, <laughs> my foot started hurting. So, I, I mean, I think all injuries are kind of linked together. My knee was hurting on my right side, so I think I I uh, compensated with my left side, and so my left foot was hurting. Uh, some overstriding. I have a few you know theories about what the particular injury was, but uh, you know, trying to fix those imbalances has been the hardest thing because I always want to train through injury and yeah. trying not to compensate on one side for a deficit to the other side is uh, it's kind of a tough balance to find, and I'm still trying to. I'm I'm getting better, but I'm kind of I'm working to find that balance. So now your coach is also a physical therapist, is that right? Oh yes, oh yes, he is, and I uh, <laughs> I send him some questions every once in a while, and his his response is he always says, "Oh, it's probably X, Y, and Z," uh, but go to the doctor and get it checked out. <laughs> yeah, and so then I always end up going to Doctor Google to verify, and then I <laughs> so yeah. so far listen so far Doctor Google uh, has been has been helping me out, but uh, I'm always. Uh, I try to find out what's wrong before I seek the professional help, but I right. I, I monitor my body very closely. And uh, if something starts getting worse, uh, then I'll go to the doctor. But luckily, uh, it, it, it my, uh, where I'm at right now, I haven't had an injury which was severe enough to, to warrant going to the doctor, even though I probably should go just to make sure. <laughs> get some x-rays, just get things checked out, because I do put my body through quite a, quite some strain. Yeah. That's the way I am. If if it's if I've got time, then I'm the Google MD. But yeah. <laughs> it looks like it's going to knock me out of a race. Then I'll go to the doctor and I'll be expecting an instant cure. <laughs> yeah. Give me a cortisone shot or do something because uh, I got a race in four weeks or whatever. Oh yeah, I mean, he, Google's always oh like uh, extensor tendonitis is one thing that I I, I was kind of dealing with, and I was like, okay, what do you do to fix that? Everything. Uh, don't run. Four well, that's weeks not that's not an option. I got to run. What else? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else do I do? And it's like, no, you stop running. That's, that's what you do. <laughs> it's like, no, there's gotta be something else. Is there a stretch I can do? Yeah. 
I can I can tolerate one week rest, but I cannot do four to six weeks. That's oh man, no, <laughs> no, I'm not even hopping on the bike or doing uh, some cross training after after a week of taking it easy. I'm bouncing off the walls, and and my wife's like, "Why don't you Why don't you put that energy into cleaning the house?" And I went, "Oh, it's even worse." <laughs> so that's a perfect segue into the bigger than the trail, man. The mental health. Oh yes, sir. So so what? So kind of where in your ultra running career did you really? Now you said something about you know before you right when you took up running when you did the bike ride that you, you know, were kind of drinking too much and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And you were using that as kind of a stress reliever. So do you still drink now recreationally? Or I will uh, I will say that it's um, only maybe I'll have a beer or a glass of wine on the weekends, maybe once a month. Uh, if it's a social environment, uh, very rarely we always have, like a beer or two in the fridge for when if friends come over, but I'm at the point now where I I see it and I would rather go <laughs> gra- grab some apple juice or a water or uh, you know some uh, some liquid IV. It's it's something to where I'll still maybe drink recreationally, but I I don't like the way it makes my body feel now. I I feel sore running. I feel sore mentally at work, and it's just it's not something that's a big part of my life anymore. Yeah. So as far as uh, stress relief and that kind of stuff, when did you start realizing that the running was doing you some good right away, immediately? Uh, I'm going to say, so even before the running, what I would do, kind of going back to that Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu, the first thing I did when I got back from Rochester, New York, that's when my, you know, I was drinking, I was eating chicken wings, I was just going hog wild. I said, I'm stuck. I'm not, I'm going, I'm getting in shape. I went to Academy Sports that's by us, a sports shop, and I bought a punching bag. And I used to punch have a punching bag in college. It was good, you know, stress relief. And honestly, at first, I would do one minute on, three minutes rest. That's all I could do. I was, I was, you know, a bit, bit more, I was a bit overweight, no cardio at all. I would hit that thing as hard as I could for a minute, spend three minutes resting. And over time, I built that up to two minutes, three minutes. I did four or five minutes and then started doing uh, jujitsu, Muay Thai. And that's when I realized that this physical outlet was really taking the stress off. And at first it was, I would be too tired at the end of the day to want to drink or want to eat bad. I would just want to go lay down, have some water, go to bed, you know, be healthy, be healthy, not only because it felt right that, that day, but I knew that the next day when I went to my jujitsu class, I'd be that much better. And that I kind of carried that over to, to biking, to running, to, uh, I do a lot of cross training and weightlifting now. So if I'm ever feeling stressed, uh, put, put on a pair of running shoes, uh, go run. And just the, the benefits of that are incredible. Uh, I actually ran with, a uh, with Kalo. Uh, you had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's in my area now and, uh, we went running and he's the same exact way. He, uh, we're, we're two very similar people with quite similar backgrounds of, you know, problem drinking to, to alleviate, uh, stress issues from work. And we found, we both found physical fitness as a way to, uh, alleviate that stress and kind of, uh, you know, we found a new addiction, <laughs> a new addiction of, uh, of putting our bodies through some, some crazy stuff. So, uh, yeah, I would say just the running helps not only to alleviate the stress of today, it also encourages me to eat better, 
drink more water, get more sleep so that I can do better for the subsequent days during the week. So not only focus on the now, but focus on me in the future. Yeah. So where did you get exposed? How did you get exposed to Bigger Than the Trail? So funny enough, just randomly on Instagram, I was scrolling through. I saw Bigger Than the Trail. And I was I didn't know what they did. So I started looking into them and I uh, thought that it was really cool. Uh, every once in a while, I would share a post every once in a while. And, uh, you know, just kind of followed them casually. And then, like I said, uh, across Florida happened. And we met that amazing, incredible family out on the trail, the Boyds. And uh, I was like, man, I need to, instead of, I know my videos were my way of giving back to the community, of highlighting the races, of getting uh, people participating in the races. But I wouldn't call it charity by any means because I was benefiting from it too. I, you know, I was getting my exposure and so I really wanted to do something that got help for someone else that that was for a purpose. Like, why am I running? I need to run for for a cause. Like, I can't just run for myself. So right after that, Bigger Than The Trail had a, a, a post on Instagram saying, hey, ambassador applications are open. Apply to become an ambassador. And uh, for the listeners who don't know, uh, most ambassadorships are, are unpaid. You don't get anything uh, back from it. You're a representative for a cause or a company that you truly believe in. And so, you know, when I post things on Facebook, when I highlight bigger than the trail in my YouTube videos, I'm not getting, you know, a discount on anything. I'm not getting kickbacks. They're not paying me. It's because I truly believe in the cause. And uh, yeah, so applied for that, got the uh, got the ambassadorship. And uh, essentially, for those who don't know about bigger than the trail, it's a small, small organization that funds uh, online counseling for those in need. So if you're someone that needs needs counseling and you don't want to go find someone in person, you're not at a point where you want to go out and seek someone and talk to someone in person, or you don't have the means to go out, uh, you contact Bigger Than The Trail and they pretty much set you up with uh, a month of free online counseling through, uh, through BetterHelp and that's kind of where they're at now. And I can definitely see this organization growing because uh, there are a lot of amazing individuals, uh, some that I met at Georgia Death Race, that are putting on events, raising money just for Bigger Than The Trail. So uh, it's it's uh, it's an organization that pretty much shines. It, their motto is shining light on mental health awareness. And you know, I'm getting kind of long-winded here, but it's just because I'm so passionate about it. But in my 20s, as I mentioned, where my 20s where I was drinking a lot, I was depressed. I, I come from a background. I was raised where when you have issues, you you bottle it in. Uh, when I reached out to a family member and said that after I got, a, you know, I had a high paying job as an electrical engineer at a major company. And I went, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling so depressed right now. That family member's response to me was, why are you depressed? You have no reason to be depressed. You have a good job. You, you're making a lot of money. Why are you depressed? And I, that's kind of the environment I was raised in. So. I kept my mental health issues to myself. And so my friends, my, my friends, my coworkers, I always tried to put on a personification of, hey, I'm fine. And it wasn't until my late 20s where I met my uh, girlfriend and now current wife, Stephanie, to where I really started being able to open up more. And I'm still working on opening up. Uh, if you ask her, I, I'm a, definitely a work in progress. But shining light on mental health awareness is, it's, it's paramount for the culture we're in now. And I feel like nowadays it's a lot more open for people, uh, men specifically to talk about their feelings, but I feel like there's still this, uh, macho stigma around talking about 
talking about your feelings and feeling sad, it, it's okay to feel sad. I, I feel sad often. <laughs> and, you know, but I talk about it with my wife. I talk about you know, why I'm feeling stressed. And I talk about it with my friends too. Uh, I'm pretty open with my coworkers now about my past drinking. Uh, that was something that I would, I kept very close to me, but realize that when I started talking to people about my alcohol habits, some people that I would never expect came to me privately and said, Hey, you know, I was struggling with the same thing or, Hey, I'm currently struggling with that same thing now and I'm trying to, to get better. So I just realized that even just talking about it, having other people hear that you went through these same, these same issues that you went through the, the same thing they're going through, uh, it could, it could help even one or two people, uh, then it's worth talking about it. Yeah. So do you have a current uh, fundraiser going with Bigger Than the Trail? I do not have a current one now. I did one through a Georgia Death Race. And so uh, my next big planned one is going to be for uh, the Summer Slam again this year. Uh, I'm planning on doing, uh, if my beautiful, amazing, wonderful wife allows it, uh, I'm planning on doing the Summer Slam hard mode. So essentially, just to kind of recap what that is, uh, on the first week, I do the Vera Beach Octopus Ultra 100 miler. Uh, the very next weekend, I do the Skunk Ape 18 mile trail run. And then on the very next weekend, I'm running a new uh, race set by uh, Mikey B, uh, who does the Sandspur races. It's a 24 hour uh, elimination race where you're essentially uh, running 80 miles over sand dunes uh, for 24 hours with random elimination rounds thrown in there. So it's a uh, 14 day period where I'm going to try to run uh, over 200 miles in various races. And uh, I'm going to set up a fundraiser uh, for that probably a week prior to the first race and have it going a week after that final race and really push hard to get some, uh, to get some, uh, some funds uh, for charity for that bigger than the trail. Yeah. Okay. So I will, in the show notes, I'll put your uh, social media on there, your Instagram uh, link and, and I'll even put one to bigger than the trail. I know I've done that before. With uh, I appreciate that. I think one of my past guests, Ben Light, was raising money for them, and I put a link for them for that. I've actually reached out to them and talked to them about doing a podcast with them and talking about mental health because I'm I'm like awesome. I'm like you. I like I think it should be talked about more and not just our community, but with with any community. And, and remove oh. that stigma for sure. Oh, definitely. And with the trail running, I, you'll, you know, you'll find a lot of people are into trail running and ultra running in general because they, they use their running to battle addiction. A lot of people have addictive personalities. And so they, they move from one, I don't want to call it moving from one vice to another, but you know, when, when your vice is running trails and meeting people, it, it's not too bad of a vice. So they, they kind of trade that addiction for another one. And so You'll meet a lot of people at ultras that have some, you know, have some pretty dark pasts that they're now in a much better place due to uh, the running and running community. So, uh, yeah, I just want to spread that more, more outside of the running community and more toward, you know, my everyday life. So, you know, bigger than the trail is amazing. It's for running. But, you know, if anyone's out there listening, you don't need to be an ambassador for a charity. You don't need to go out and raise money for a charity every week. Ask your coworkers, hey, are you okay? You know, ask your ask your friends, hey, are you okay? Talk to them about how are you feeling? Open up because like I said, those I had a few a uh, few coworkers that came to me in private and really kind of opened up to me about some of the struggles they were going through. And I would have had no clue me just mentioning my struggles would 
have made them comfortable enough to come to me and open up like that. So it just, like I said, like we've been talking about, uh, have faith in your fellow man and, uh, you know, not only have faith by seeing other people do something, but be that person that gives your fellow man faith. Yeah. Amen. Well, that's, that's a, sounds like a good way to wrap it up. <laughs> Unless you got anything extra you want to throw in there. Oh, Mari, we've been talking for a while and I've, I've really uh, jabbered on it quite a bit. I hope no one's bored of me, but no, I think that's, that's the perfect way to end it up. Uh, I got some, some crazy races uh, this year. If you want to, if you want to see what they are, you know, you go to my social media or just look me up on Ultra Sign Up. Uh, I, I pretty much use Ultra Sign Up as a as a tool to stalk all my fellow runners to see what races they're going to go at, so I know which ones <laughs> are going to be the the exciting ones. So, yeah, find me an Ultra Sign Up, see what race I'm coming to, and you know, say hi to me. Uh, I love talking to people. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll chit chat and jabber away and drone on kind of like I'm doing now. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate you having me on. This was, this was incredible. I had, I had a really good time talking. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed it. So do you have anything else up before the SummerSlam that you're doing? Oh man, that's, that's, this is the first, this is the longest training block <clears throat> that I've had in quite a while to where I'm focused on the SummerSlam just because I, I'm taking that. I, I have, strong doubts of myself finishing which is good because it means i'm going to put in the hardest training i can possibly do so i have a solid i think it's 10 10 weeks of training uh, to put in for this so uh, i'm taking it very seriously and uh, like i said i'm going to be running that one with a fundraiser for bigger than the trail so i want to do everything in my power to not only finish that first race but also finish those other two races and uh and do something special at them. So I'm really focused on running that not only for me, but also for, you know, for bigger than the trail. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I will share your uh, social media links to, and your YouTube link to feet first athletics. And so all of our listeners will subscribe to that and check out those videos. I know many of them already have because we have, I have lots of Florida listeners and they know about you already, but yes, sir. But the ones that haven't, they'll know about you now. And I'm sure they will love those videos because they keep getting better and better. And I look forward. I haven't seen the Georgia death race one yet, uh, but I will catch it this week. Tomorrow, actually, I have a gym day and I'm doing it's a non-running day. So I'm doing like 45 minutes on elliptical. So I'll probably watch it then. Oh, that's yeah. I think you're going to like it. It's uh, it's my favorite one so far for at least until I make my next one. <laughs> yeah. And that's like uh, the perfect uh, material for, for that kind of situation for being in the gym too. Oh yes, sir. Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, I sure appreciate your time, man. And I wish you the best of luck on your, and that when your uh, fundraiser does start, you know, and I see it pop up on your social media, I will talk about it and give you like a little advertisement in my podcast and uh share the links again then for you to help you raise some money and i'll certainly donate myself oh i appreciate i appreciate that it means that means the world to me thank you thank you so much and again thank you for having me on i i really enjoyed talking to you and uh can't wait to see you i'm sure i'll see you by the end of the year at, at an event either running it together or uh or volunteering at it together yeah hey buddy you have a good night uh you too bye okay. bye Wow, I really enjoyed that. Mike is a really interesting guy. He's super cool, and he's like the epitome of what I like about ultra runners. He really wants to give back to the community, and he loves to do scary shit. And I just really admire that about the ultra running community. 
I sure hope you'll support him by subscribing to his YouTube page if you have not. He has some really awesome videos, and uh, he's very thoughtful in his uh, editing of those and putting them together. And and as he said, you know, in the interview, his he gets a little better at it each time, and it's it's very obvious that he cares about what he's doing. And the fact that he wants to shine the light on mental health uh, is a good thing, too. So please uh, check him out on all the Instagram. I'll share the information on the show notes. Until the next time, I hope you have a great day and uh, peace out. I want to sincerely thank you for running your miles with Marty today. I know there's a lot of choices out there, and it means a lot to me that you chose to run or ride with me. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, give us a review. Hit that subscribe button and spread the word, just like that running community love. We're on social media at Miles with Marty Podcast, and you can email us at mileswithmartypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube at squirrelsnutbutter.com. Yeah.